We're going to start with a nice word on Parshas Vu'ayru. The Pusik says, So the question is, why does it say the word Sivlis Mitzrayim? It should be called Avdis Mitzrayim, or other Lashonis that we find that the Torah used to describe you know, what the Eden suffered in Mitzrayim. And you know, the answer is that, that what Hashem was saving Yidin from was the fact that they got used to tolerating that which Mitzrayim was doing. Sivlis Mitzrayim is a illusion of being soivul Mitzrayim, the fact that they were able to tolerate it. Now, in the beginning, obviously they were still new in Mitzrayim, and they were, you know, there was the Shibit and all the difficulties that they had over there, but they weren't yet used to it, and they were still bothered by it. They couldn't handle it. If somebody can't handle something, it's a good sign. As long as Hashem saw that they couldn't handle it, that was fine. When Hashem started seeing that they are able to handle it, that, that's when Hashem decided that it's, it's, it's time to take them out of Mitzrayim and they can't be there anymore. This is what, uh, this is what Shtait from, from the Rabbinim and from Rabbeinach Alexander he says that the, the biggest part of Rabbeinach adds that the biggest part of Gula's Mitzrayim was the fact that they were able to be soil Mitzrayim. That's what Hashem was saving them from. Yeah, as long as somebody's bothered by something, as long as uh, somebody can't handle something, there's something good about that. Sometimes it looks like when there's the intolerable, it's worse than anything else, but part of not being able to tolerate something means that you're okay. When somebody loses that, that sensitivity, when somebody loses that feeling and they, and they, and they don't even know anymore what's, what's good and bad, you know, there's something worse about that sometimes. And I think that in general when it comes to relationships, a lot of times things that maybe shouldn't be tolerated, and when they do become tolerated, and people get used to something that's no good, it just, it just makes things worse. Sometimes we get used to something that's not so terrible and, you know, thinking or hoping that, okay, so I'm used to it already, it's not so bad. Getting used to something means that, that you accept it. Sometimes it's not good for you to become hopeless and become discouraged and become depressed. And sometimes it's not good for someone else. It's not, you're not always doing a favor for somebody by showing them, it's okay, I got used to it already, it's fine. Now, just because I mentioned those words, let me add, there are people that use those words to hurt someone. You know, something's no good, your spouse comes home late, or whatever it is, and you say, you know, okay, so you came home, I'm used to it already. Saying you're used to it already doesn't make anyone feel good, obviously. But sometimes you actually give an attitude of, I'm used to it already, and that's why you're okay with it, and because you're okay with it, it just keeps on happening. And sometimes it's not good to be okay with things. Now, of course, you have to know how to not be okay with something, you have to know how to, how to, how to express it, how to communicate it in a way that's going to be helpful, not in a way that's going to hurt anyone. But there's something about being um, and just getting used to difficulty and getting used to things not being the way they should be, which actually uh, promotes it from, from not, from, you know, just to keep on going and, and, and not to change. So I don't mean to blame the person who's tolerating and blame the person who's been through suffering or blame the person who's, you know, unfortunately dealing with the unacceptable or intolerable behavior. I'm saying that sometimes just giving, giving in and, and being okay with it is, is a big part of the problem. So with that said, let me read a question. It's a long question, and I was actually asked not to read it uh, word for word, even though I don't say anything too identifying. Um, but let me let me try to do the best. Okay, I've recently I've recently disco- discovered your shiurim, and I truly enjoy listening to them. Okay, I'm often overwhelmed with feelings as I listen, and I find myself crying through a shiur. Okay, so let me just comment on that first. You know, some people. Um, hear a share that I give and they identify with a problem or hopefully with the solution that I'm suggesting. Now I know that sometimes it's, it's, it's quite overwhelming. Sometimes it's um, you know, you're opening a can of worms almost by, by, by pointing out a certain problem or by discussing a certain issue that sometimes people want to bury. So aside from what I just mentioned before about not being 
not tolerating and not being okay with things, not being the way they should be. Um, but on the contrary, the fact that we're talking about it, the fact that people have benefited from listening to this, just goes to show that, yeah, so many people are dealing with the same thing. I was just recently um, at Karaftuni last week, and, you know, on the way, when I finished speaking by the Q&A with Rabbi Reddy, on the way out, you know, some, some people want to ask a question, people want to come over, and it, it took about an hour to leave the hall, just from one person to the next. And each person comes over and says their little thing, very quiet, you know, like, this thing is bothering me, this thing, I have a problem, this thing, whatever it is. And now I understand why people are talking in, in a low voice, not everyone has to hear a person's problem. When I talk to people about my problems, I also talk about it very low. But something, there's something about people thinking that they have to be ashamed of a problem. Again, I'm not saying you should announce it. I'm saying that very often when a person talks about something bothering them, they're looking right and left and, and looking at the person they're talking to and hoping that, you know, I hope you don't think I'm crazy and I'm dealing with this. And they don't realize that, you know, almost every person is asking something to do with the same thing. And very many people in this hall and very many people listening to this share and very many people listening, you know, anywhere are all dealing with more or less the same stuff. Whatever you're dealing with one of your children, someone else is also dealing with. Whatever you're dealing with somewhere in your marriage, someone else is probably also dealing with. It's not. So when you find yourself listening to my class and identifying with it, um, don't see that as, oh my, I have a huge problem that I see as being discussed in the class and I'm really also part of this problem. See it as, okay, so I'm also human. It's not only me. And there must be a way to deal with it. And let me learn. So that's just something I wanted to point out. Okay. So I'm married for, let's say, five years with two children. My husband's an outstanding Tamachachim who learns with a Merdiga Asmuda. A very Matzliach, a very Menschlich, a very likable. And I do everything possible to support him in his endeavors. Okay. We don't spend time together. When he's home, he's usually listening to his phone. I've gently asked him in the past to try not to be on the phone during supper. And... Often, if he's not listening to his phone, he's reading something. I have expressed to him that I think we need more time together, and he listened to me, he's very good at listening to me, and very well-meaning, but it didn't change the reality. Uh, we tried setting aside a time, but it didn't happen. And then she goes on why through the day there's not too much time between her work schedule and his learning schedule and his night schedule and, and all that. There's not so much time to connect. Okay, another thing. I found that we don't have much to talk about. My husband is not very expressive. And when I do try to start conversations um, that don't go too far, I know he's not trying to hurt me in any way, but it seems that we don't have much in common to share. I feel that our only meaningful conversations are during the night, when possible, and at such times he does, he does um, express his appreciation for my support and his acceptance and tells me clearly uh, meaningful things, and I treasure his words. So I feel tormented by this existence. Um, I feel torn between appreciating the wonderful husband that I have, but the sinking feeling about something must be very wrong over here for not connecting properly. Um, I know that I'm much at fault because my fear of uncomfortable conversations keep on uh, holding me back from making the effort to spend more quality time together. I do see my husband um, communicating well with his friends. So I understand that maybe it's me. On the other hand, I see myself communicating very well with other people, being fun and pleasant company, and I see that everyone can appreciate who I am and told my husband that I came. Anyway, we have this communication issue. There were times that I was courageous enough to tell him something about putting down his phone. He didn't even hear me, and sometimes I think like he didn't even notice me, and I wish phones could be mukta during the week as well. And then there are times that are good, and I wonder like maybe everything really is fine, but these times are usually very short. 
And she writes again and again, my husband's a very well-meaning person and, and he's actually pained by the thought of hurting me, etc. One more point is that my husband has a hard time getting out of bed. I'm not talking about 10, 11, I'm talking about you know, till midday or later. Um, I have told him that this bothers me very much. And this definitely affects the whole schedule in the morning with the children because between her work schedule and whatever it is that he's needed for and things just start late and you know, it's very problematic. I have suggested that he check himself out to make sure everything's okay. He didn't appreciate it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what his problem, why he can't really get up. Anyway, the question is, what do you say about the state of our communication? And what do I do about my husband's sleeping habits? Um, and especially because they affect the children's schedule, getting to the babysitters and school on time. I did try to ask nicely and things didn't work. Um, I've suggested that he check himself out, but I can't force him to. I don't think it's effective and I don't want to nag him. Um, should I be doing everything on my own because he's not getting up on time and things like that? Okay, so I, 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 the gist of it is that uh, a well-meaning woman, seeing all the good in her husband, finds that they don't have much time together. That's one. They don't have much time. They don't have what to connect with. That's two. And um, this sleeping schedule that is affecting things over here in, in, in not a great way. So let me just start with something I start often. And I'm not going to elaborate too much because, like I say often, once it gets too complicated and there's too many factors, not that I think it's a very complicated relationship, but once it does get too complicated, you're always best getting one-on-one guidance, having someone help you through it and, make, and, and helping you apply whatever it is that I'm going to try to offer you or whatever else anyone else has to offer you. Um, and like I also say, I feel bad sometimes that a letter like this is not addressed you know, for months after I get it. And the point of this is not to address the questioner. That would be something that maybe you'd want one-on-one, but I think that what I try to do is give some kind of ideas that can help anyone that might have any kind of issue that's even just related or similar to any one of these points that, that's being brought up over here. So, point number one is what you start off with, and you mentioned it again in the middle, that you see the good in your husband, and you're happy, and you appreciate that you were to a wonderful husband. Now, like I say that often, and it's always good to just keep on reminding ourselves, it's wonderful to see the good. It is. I mean it. It's wonderful to see the good. When I see people seeing the good and not just getting stuck in the complaints, I respect them for it. I commend them for it. It's wonderful. If only we would all see the good more often, focus on the good, see it, emphasize it, and realize that that's really the part, you know, that, that's really the essence of the person we, we live with, the good person, the good parts of the person, the qualities and all that. Um, sometimes we only see it to ourselves and we don't talk about it enough because the negative, you know, the negative attention is drawn to things that are less than perfect and things that we want to change and that's what we harp on. Sometimes we don't even see it, we just write it in an email or a letter to sound better, but I don't think that's the case. I'm just mentioning, you know, not only should you think about it, you should say it all the time. You want to make your husband feel very good that you see in him all these great things. Especially if once in a while you're going to be courageous enough to bring up something that's bothering you and be assertive or critical about something, then you for sure have to verbalize more often and emphasize stronger and more frequently, you know, somebody's strong points and qualities. And I, I tell this to people often about their children, and I'm saying it again about a spouse. If I would meet your kid in the street, and I would say, what do you think Tati Mami think of you? What would he answer? Very many people start um, kekatsing, and I don't know, and I think he would say, I love him, and I'm good to him, but I didn't ask what you do for him. What would he say you think of him? If I would tell him, your Tati stopped me in the street, and he was talking to me about you, what would he think a Tati said about him? Would he think that a Tati said that he's a wonderful boy? 
with so many qualities, that's such a gift, so appreciated. Or would he say, oh, my Tata spoke to you about me. So Megit, I could just imagine what he said. And it's something to think about. It's not easy to always make sure that all your kids will always think that you always think very highly of them. But at the same time, sometimes maybe you could. There's ways to do that. It doesn't mean that you should look away or ignore something that has to be fixed or taken care of. It means that the emphasis and the attitude and the the general um, um, feeling that your child is getting from you is that you think the world of him and that you're happy with him. And there's ways to do that, especially if you're going to have to be critical about other things. I'm just saying this in, in terms of when it comes to marriage as well. Um, what would your husband think that you're going to say about him? That he's a wonderful husband, that he's a special person, that you see all the gifts, and that you wouldn't mind if he was on his phone less and he was maybe more available, of course, but, but really there's so much more to it. Or no, my wife thinks that I'm not there for her and I don't understand it, we don't have what to talk about, and I get up late. Yeah, she tells me, Taka, that I, I learn well and, and she appreciates that part, you know. Again, it's not easy, especially when there are things that really do bother someone. It's not easy to just make believe they're not there or to emphasize so much of the good and still hope that the other points you make are not going to be noticed. But that's definitely the way to go in terms of a relationship, to emphasize the good and bank on it. It's actually even the way to make sure that the other things that you say might be taken more seriously when somebody feels good about you and about how they're perceived. Another thing, which I, 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 I just I commend the question for putting it this way. I don't even know if it's on purpose or not. I just want to explain it. Very often there's, there's a few problems. A few problems at a time. We're all human. We all have things to work on. We all have numerous things to work on. We could all look at our spouse or our child or anyone that we know or ourselves, if only, and say, you know what? I have to work on these three things. I have to work on um, communicating better with my spouse, let's say. I have to work on getting up on time and having a better structured day and whatever else it is. Sometimes people group all these things together and then it becomes a whole mishmash of this husband of mine. He, he, he's not available for me. He's not up in the morning for the kids. He just doesn't not doing what he should. And it becomes one big person, a problematic person, who's just not adding up to anything that they should be doing. People do that all the time. If you have if you have six problems with your spouse or ten, don't. It's it's so important to try try your best to compartmental compartmentalize and take each one apart separately. There's a communication issue. Let's talk about it. Let's deal with it. What do I do about it? Oh, there's an there's a, a, a issue in the morning. Okay, what do I do about that? It's two separate things. It doesn't reflect on somebody and doesn't make anyone um, look bad. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't dictate that this person's no good. It doesn't mean that this person's failing me. Very important point. I see people um, um, grouping together so many chesroimists sometimes that it just reflects on somebody in such a negative way that it's so hard later to, to really appreciate the person or to talk nicely about them. When it comes to qualities, people don't do that. It's, it's ironic, but that's, that's how it is sometimes. And, and, and we're all human, we're all human. You know, it's, so easy to, it's so easy to say, you know, my husband's really failing, he's not doing anything right. I mean, he does learn well, Grada, and he also uh, makes money, like as if that's separate parts, but don't, those don't group together. So I'm just pointing this out. One more thing that I will mention, which again, I, I don't see this to be a problem in terms of this question at all, but when you have a problem, just because we're talking about problems, how to look at problems, how to deal with problems, Try. Try your best. Deal with the present. There are problems that are now problems. The problem is that now he's not getting up in the morning. The problem is that now we don't have time together. Okay, that's fine. If a problem resolves itself, don't talk about old problems. And, and it's very closely related to what I was just saying, because sometimes when people don't know how to compartmentalize, they also don't know how to compartmentalize uh, past, present, future. You know? My husband comes home late, and I can't handle it. And you should know it's already six years that he was always coming, uh, leaving the house late also. Okay, that stopped already, but... It, so if it stopped already, why are you mentioning it? 
either because the resentment is just growing and the fact that he's coming home late today and the fact that he used to leave the house late yesterday uh, seems to have some connection so it's like a huge problem that's still not resolved from six years ago or because it makes you sound more credible because I'm dealing with problems for eight years so this problem got just started now that one is not here anymore but it's still it's so important to take something apart see it for what it is deal with, with the present as the present deal with the future the past happened already somebody was repeating to me uh, like uh, some kind of argument or debate or, or whatever kind of uh, whatever it was uh, that he was having with his wife which I, which I never encourage having debates or arguments with your wife and he was saying why is it that you always come up with complaints about me and I almost never complain about you you know there are obviously things that go on during the day you know that, that, that you do that I don't like and there are things I do that you don't like but, but I keep on hearing about them and you don't very stupid question but that's what he asked and the answer was something like well I'll tell you because I'm dealing with this already for so many years now, aside from the fact that he might have been dealing with the same thing for that many years, that's not an answer. That's not an answer. Today's problem is today's problem. And if you're going to deal with today's problem as a continuation of so many years of problems, you'll probably never get out of it. Because whatever comes up will always be just a continuation of old stuff. No, today's problems tackle went away, but tomorrow something else will come up, and that's probably also some kind of connection. So all my, my, my point is just don't group together and don't collectively look at problems as, as an identity of a person and use it against them and knock them down. So I hope that that introduction was somewhat helpful. Okay, now, this lady mentioned more than once that she's afraid to bring things up and maybe it's part of the problem and when she does find the courage and she says something, then whatever. It's not good to be afraid. Let me tell you that. It's not good to be afraid. It's not good to be afraid in a relationship. Being afraid of hurting someone is a good thing. You should never want... It's not, it's not afraid. You shouldn't want to hurt anyone. You should never hurt anyone. But the word afraid which holds back communication, holds back somebody from expressing themselves and giving over a healthy, assertive, clear message and knowing how to, how to be vulnerable and to share your feelings and to try to do something about changing whatever it is that's not comfortable at home, that's very important. If, you can, if you're going to resist all that because you're afraid of something happening and live in fear, and whatever it is, the fear of the outcome, the fear of the reaction is not going to let you express yourself, there's nothing wrong with it. You're supposed to live in fear. You're supposed to live in comfort. So not hurting someone, yes, you should never hurt anyone. But, but the fear of hurting someone, which now keeps you back from doing other things that might be good, that, that's, that's not the way it should be. You shouldn't be limited. And honestly, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be afraid of. As long as you're saying something nice, and as long as you're saying something with sensitivity, and it's a thought-out message, and you're not just spitting it out the way it's, you know, the, the first second it fell into your mind, the way it falls into your mind, the way it's popping out of your heart, it's fine to say anything. Not, not everything is comfortable to be said. My friend uh, David Lieberman uh, once said something, you know, there are things that are easier said than done, but they still have to be said. And I mentioned this in the past, I always add, and, and they still have to be done as well. But the point is that yeah, some things just have to be said. It has to be said. So it has to be said. It has to be said. You can't expect someone to know it if it's not being said. You don't want to hurt someone, so say it nicely. Now, sometimes people will react um, aggressively or, or uh, negatively, even if you said it the right way. Well, that's fine. You didn't hurt anyone. So if, you, if your fear is just of somebody's reaction because they might have some irrational or illogical or inappropriate reaction, that's not a reason to be afraid. And if you are, you're being controlled. And I'm not saying it to point out that you're being controlled or that something's wrong over here. I just mean to say that if, somebody, if somebody's reaction or the fear of what you think somebody's reaction might be is limiting you in your, in your communication or expressing yourself or knowing how to you know, just share your feelings in a nice and healthy way, then there's something wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and you could expect that things won't change if you don't know how to do that. So I think it's very clear uh, that when you talk to your husband about how his phone usage, for example, is bothering you, and things like that, I think it's very important to be clear about it. 
Clear doesn't mean that you're hurting him with it. On the contrary, clear means you're saying that I understand that you like being on your phone. And then during the day, let's say you're learning so much, you don't have time for your phone, and that when you're home, you want to you listen a little. I understand you're only listening to good things, and I appreciate it. I understand you're only talking to good people or whatever it is. You want to give all those bumpers that don't make someone think that you're challenging them personally. But after that, it's important to be clear. Not just say, you know, if you could put it away, it would be... No, no, no. It, it really hurts me when we're together and there's a phone in between. And if there's a way we could work out that the phone's not there for whatever it is, either it's by supper or a half hour or, or the first half hour or the second half hour or by night or whatever it is, I'd really appreciate it. Be very clear about what you're suggesting. Don't just say, you know, if you, if you could find time to put it away... Uh, no, I'm, I'm suggesting something specific. And I'm asking for something specific, and you're being assertive about it because that's how you feel. And you could always end off, just because I see you're a little afraid over here, um, you don't have to. It would mean a lot to me, but you don't have to. Telling someone they don't have to just makes it so much easier for them to, 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 you know, to accept it. What I mean to say is, but, but as long as you're saying it nicely, and you're talking about yourself and your feelings, and you're suggesting something specific, you're not hoping that somebody will guess and come up with uh, some... So he'll take it further on his own you're being clear because you see he's not taking it further on his own it's very important and of course you want to be reasonable of course you don't want to say anything that's not reasonable that he can't do that he's not going to be able to but whatever it is you can be very clear about and you mentioned the words it didn't happen it is not happening somebody has to make it happen in my Chelem Mashir this week when I say Chelem a story and I learned some lessons from it I spoke about how people want to find something that's going to happen they like finding a method or like finding some kind of idea that, okay, so I found the right idea, so why is it not happening? It doesn't happen when you find ideas. The idea is something that if you make it happen and you're using a certain idea that could help it happen, then it might happen. But suggesting something or bringing something up and then hoping that it will happen on its own, especially if you weren't even clear, that's not reasonable. So it's very important to stick to it. We find this by children very often. You'll tell something to children and they'll, you, 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 nobody could come out of bed. If you come out of bed, uh, uh, something's going to happen or whatever it is. Uh, what happens? You know, a night later, somebody jumps out of bed. Why are they jumping out of bed? They're jumping out of bed to test you if you meant what you said or not. They didn't like what you said. They don't want to. They didn't like that nobody come out of bed anymore. But how are they going to know if they could or not? They're going to have to test it once or twice. What happens? You know, very often, Canada. Oh, you forgot what we said. Get back into bed. You just told him that. Okay, so it's not so terrible. Nothing happened. I got out of bed. I was reminded. Okay, I'll try it again another time. Next time, I'll have to add that I need a bathroom or a drink or something. But if you said that something will happen if you if a child comes out of bed, whatever it is, whatever the consequence, whatever, you're not going to be there, you're going to go away from his bed, or whatever, then go ahead and do it. No, but it only happened once. I know. He's testing you. My point is just, again, I don't want to make your husband sound like a child, but when you suggest something and somebody um, doesn't do it, then don't look away and say, you know what, I want to make believe I didn't notice it. Sometimes, of course, it's best not to notice, and you always have to add your, your own common sense to know if something was an emergency or not. But the point is that very often if you say something, and you want it to work, and you want it to happen, you have, you have to carry through. So if you discuss with your husband something about his phone, or about spending quality time together, I think that was, another, that was the example that you mentioned also, and you want it to happen, make sure it happens. Don't say, well, we spoke about it, and I see he's not bringing it up, I'll, I'll bring it up next week and ask him why last week it didn't happen. No, 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 we said we're going to go out tonight, right? We said we're going to take a walk, we said we're going to... Spend time together. We said we're going to do something together. Um, excuse me, it's, it's almost 7 o'clock, so if we could just make sure it's going to happen at 7, when we made up, it will. So it's not happening on its own. You, you're making it happen. Now, so that's just um, the phone part and making up when to spend quality time. Now, in the actual communication, you claim that you don't have so much to communicate about, you don't have so much in common, you're already married for five years, and you still don't have some kind of common language or common interests, 
And I understand it, so it's not so easy. Just this week, actually, in my Bukhrum Shir, I was also talking about, uh, Bukhrum was asking about how to make conversation with another boy that you meet. Um, and there's a lot to talk about, good conversation starters and, and things like that. Now, with a Bukhr, you know, it's all optional. He, has, he could choose his friends. He could he, he could not talk to the person who it's harder to start a conversation with. He could talk, he could choose to gravitate toward the person he feels more comfortable with or the person who's going to take care of the conversation for him. When you're married, it's important to communicate. It's important to have quality time. It's important to talk. Now, it could be it's your husband's responsibility just like yours, but if you're the one that's asking me the question, you're the one that's interested in making this happen, you're doing the right thing and it's important to learn how to initiate a conversation. Sometimes it has to do with finding common ground. I know sometimes it's only about the kids and it looks too technical but sometimes even about the kids, it doesn't have to be technical about the kids. It could be an idea about the chinuch of the children. It could be an idea about uh, something that we share interest in, even if it's not so much. Sometimes it's about asking open-ended questions that's going to automatically initiate some kind of conversation and shouldn't sound like an interview or interrogation. But there are ways to make conversation. And even when it's not so comfortable, and even when it's not happening on its own, and it's a point where, you know what, you talk to your friends, I'll talk to my friends, why not? I'm putting effort into this try to come up with something I think I'm going to do my homework so that when you come home I'll figure out what to say that's going to make us yeah yeah that's important so if you could learn how and you come up with ideas about how to communicate with someone even when it's not happening naturally or gishmak it's, it's definitely important most people actually like to talk about what interests them most people like to talk let's start with that not everyone talks because sometimes they feel uncomfortable most people like to talk I do and I talk a lot and most people like to talk and most people like to talk about what interests them the problem is that when two people have a conversation, usually they're both talking about what interests themselves, and that's why very often people are not really communicating. I'm saying one thing, and you're saying something else, and then I go and prove my point, and then you prove your point, and that's not called a conversation. But if you can help somebody talk about what interests them, that's very often very helpful in terms of communication. Now, if you notice, your husband does talk to people, which is wonderful, it's nice to see that he could talk, and he has communication skills, and very often you'll notice that he's talking about things that do interest him, maybe it's about his learning, or his coil, or his or his kehila, or whatever, I don't know what it is that interests him, whatever it is, that might not be what interests you, and you might not even feel comfortable talking about it, or just feel silly talking about something that has nothing to do with you, but sometimes, when you either hear something and you ask him about it, and when he starts sharing, you you get excited instead of contradicting him, or showing that it doesn't interest you, on the contrary, you, you encourage him to talk more about it, and you give him all the respect and credit for it, uh, aside from that conversation alone being connecting, sometimes that's just a starting point to build more relationship and be closer to someone. And even if the only thing you can talk to him about is things that interest him, it's probably still worth it. I know you want someone to listen to you talk about what interests you, but at least for starters, I think it's very important to to talk to him. Now, also, you mentioned the Zitam for example. It's interesting to see how... I don't know if you're going to feel comfortable learning with him or from him anything that's appropriate, but sometimes when a woman just asks her husband all kinds of halucha shalas, things that are relevant, things that are... You know, that pertain to her kitchen or the schedule or the Shabbos or whatever it is and he feels good he feels good somebody's asking him and it's not a short answer she asks him why is it that way how do you understand that wow how do you remember that there are so many things that he might feel very comfortable sharing and feel very good about somebody showing interest in if only you would be there to listen now it could be to you this is boring and even when you do have a question you get a one word answer and it's fine you don't care about the details but sometimes this is something that will definitely make him um, feel better and like I said knowing that you know how to communicate well and that he knows how to communicate well just makes it easier uh, to feel more confident that this could work when only you find the common ground and, and learn how to do that. Now, I'll go over to the sleeping part, you know, the, the waking up late, which I think is, is really not so related to anything we said until now, unless the resentment builds and that's what makes different things happen over here. Um, 
it's definitely important, first of all, to just differentiate between late and late, functional and dysfunctional. I tell this to, to young men all the time when they talk to me about when people talk to me about women or their wives that are that are not functioning properly. Okay, there are women that wake up six a.m., prepare breakfast and lunch and clothing and knapsacks and 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 homework papers before the kids wake up at seven, and they have a whole hour to prepare the kids and read them a story and take care of them till they go out the bus at eight. There are such women, by the way. There are women that get up at seven, and then in an hour they're doing all that. There are women that get up at seven thirty. There are women that get up a quarter to eight and do it all in fifteen minutes. It's not the way it should be, but that's such a thing. And then there are women that wake up at eight thirty, and they want the children to do it on their own. Then there are women that wake up at eleven and they want their husbands to take care of it. So everything has to be just taken into context. Now, somebody who's learning in Kailu, um yes, the right thing to do is to get up very early, learn early, do things early, and not. And take advantage of the fact that I don't have a job so I can get up when I want. Not a question. But then there are people that get up at 8 or 9 or even 9.30 and they still manage to get it all in and they still start their day. It's not the way it should be and some people get resentful about it. Some people are, why am I getting up to work and he's sleeping? But it's still within the realm of normal. It's not yet dysfunctional and sometimes it's not worth making a federal case over and controlling someone else's schedule where it doesn't impact or affect you directly. Okay, food for thought. But then there's something about somebody getting up midday on the afternoon there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying something wrong because I want you to look down at your husband or something wrong because I want you to use it against your husband. It's just because it's something concerning. It's not the way it should be. Now, if it doesn't affect you directly at all and you'll tell me that, you know, everything's running smoothly, I don't, I don't care anyway, everything's happening on its own. For example, I like my job anyway, it has nothing to do with anything. Um, the kids, he gets up and sends off the kids and then he goes back to sleep and doesn't really affect anyone in any bad way or whatever. Okay, so it doesn't affect anyone. It doesn't affect anyone. It doesn't mean it's good or healthy. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try to help someone you love dealing with a, with a problem like that. But at the end of the day, it's still not terrible. But then there are times when it's both unreasonable and it does affect you directly. And that's where something it's very important to differentiate those things to know when is what. Um, we talk about often the boundaries of mine, yours, and ours. Right? What's mine is mine. What's yours is yours. But then there's ours. You shouldn't be controlling anything that belongs to me or ours. Soul control over that. We should be sharing certain things, certain decisions. So I'm not here to tell you when to wake up, but if it's going to affect me directly and impose on me, and I'm going to tolerate it, and make believe it's okay, and because you're not getting up, or because you're not holding a schedule, that's why I'll just take care of the kids, and bring a livelihood, and run the house, and do everything I should, and take care of you, and let you just you know fall in whenever you feel like that. It's not good. It's not good. So I'm not telling you to stick up for your rights. I'm telling you not to enable, and not to make worse, something that's not healthy, or, or incorrect and specifically no good just because you don't want to rock the boat and just because you're afraid and just because you don't know how, how it's going to be taken. We don't realize sometimes how this is affecting everyone just because you're helping it happen. And I get these questions often. Again, it's, it's hard for me to give certain ideas in public, but in the, in the big picture, when somebody's doing something, when somebody's not functioning properly, it's called that. Um, it's almost always... It's almost always happening because somebody's letting it happen. Nobody could nobody could just wake up in the afternoon and, and live life. I mean, if they're not making a living, how are they eating? Oh, somebody else is making a living. Aha, so now, now I have. So slowly, it's going to stop making sense. So often, what you're doing is actually encouraging, let's call it, negative behavior because that person wouldn't be able to do it if not for the fact that you're covering for them. So it's wonderful when a woman is working. It's, it's wonderful when a woman is supporting her husband's learning Torah. 
helping out with the finances and, and, and taking part in running a household and trying to cover the bills, which is very hard for somebody to do on a single paycheck or whatever it is. But sometimes what you're doing is actually making things worse. It's wonderful when a woman is taking care of the kids and a lot of the housework, but it's not okay when she's doing it to a point where now somebody else can be totally dysfunctional and have no responsibility and obligation at all because everything's happening anyway. So I'm being a little vague, but it's important to realize where are you covering for someone and you're allowing and maybe even promoting some, some dysfunctional behavior. I will add a very important thing, and that is that if the conversations come up and you talk about getting up early and you feel that your husband could use encouragement in this area, or you feel that he could use a good word in the area, of course you want to make him feel like a million dollars as somebody you feel is very capable and somebody that you're very confident will get it done and all that. But sometimes what people do, and they make another mistake over here, is, well, if you wake me up, I'll get up. Or if you do this, and again, it starts falling on you all over again. Somebody becomes too dependent on you, and that's no good. So sometimes if people want to be nice about something and take the burden and have that codependency, okay, so you want to get up, so now it became my responsibility to wake you up, and that's again no good. Or if you remind me by night to go to sleep, then, okay. It doesn't work like that. It's important that people take responsibility on themselves and know how to go to sleep, like mentioned, and wake up, like mentioned. And you don't want to enable difficulty. But when you communicate about it, you don't want to make it sound like, I don't care, it's your thing, it's not doing me. And I'm not, you, don't, you don't want to give an attitude that makes someone feel bad about themselves, or that you don't care about them, or that you're just here to control them. There's so much positivity, and so much good wording, and so much uh, you know, nice, nice uh, expressions of, 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 and respectful ways of communicating to someone to make them feel good and motivated and driven and confident and, and, and believe in themselves and know that you believe in them. Of course. I was just addressing the parts where you're actually making it worse by doing what you're doing without even realize that you're dancing around someone else's issue might be what's causing the problem. And if you stop that, that alone could already change things. But it's clear that when this does come up in, in, in conversation, if it does come up, then of course you want to talk about it in very nice terms and not just be busy communicating what you're not going to do and how you're not going to carry the burden and how it's not your fault and all that. Now, when it comes to you, it's easier, right? If, if it's something that's imposing upon you directly, it's easier to say, well, listen, from now on, I'm not doing this anymore, so you can either decide not to do it or it won't happen. I'm not taking the responsibility myself. I'll share it with you if you want, but that's it. When it comes to the children, it's a little harder because what happens is if, if one parent is not doing what they should, in terms of whatever it is, I'm not talking about just getting up late, uh, in regard to the children, it's easy for the other one to say, you know what, if you don't, then I don't, but then the kids get neglected. That, that's, that's something that has to be dealt with you know, specifically and responsibly to make sure that the kids are not going to be neglected because of a bias issue. You don't want any kind of marriage to turn into a chinech issue. But sometimes it's important to say, listen, I'm happy to take the kids every other day to Chayda. Um, I don't think it's my, my responsibility alone. So Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday, I'll do that. Uh, Monday and Wednesday and Friday, I would appreciate if you could. And the days that are not my responsibility, I'm not going to do it. And if it means the kids will stay home, unfortunately, we'll try to come up with how to cushion that in a healthy way. It might make someone just step up to the plate and do something about it. Again, it's very sensitive um, advice, and I'm not telling you to implement it on your own. It's always good to just understand the idea and have someone help you implement it. Just recently I had a, a very uncomfortable experience with somebody who heard an idea from me, and uh, a month later, after I shared it with him in vague terms, just letting him know there's such an idea, he went and implemented it on his own a month later without any guidance the wrong way. No, no okay, I, I didn't mean that. I just meant to tell you there's this idea about like that. So when you're doing something tricky or sensitive, just make sure you're doing it right. Um, and there are a lot of ideas that I could try to help you with um, to know how to not do too much or to not um, make people around work along with somebody who's not doing what they should. So that was just 
about that. Now, if you want to suggest that he have himself checked out, you want to suggest whatever it is, that's fine, but, but that's more about controlling his way of dealing with something. The parts that pertain to you and the parts that pertain to your children, that's where you're more um, credible and accountable and responsible to do the right thing. So I hope that I gave some idea, even though I was a little vague, and I, I think that people that listen to me long enough probably understand what I mean anyway. But back to the beginning. It's important to see the good in your husband. It's important to emphasize and focus on and obsess over all the qualities that he has. It's important to verbalize it, make him feel good. You don't know what, it, what it's going to do to someone when you boost his ego in a healthy way, telling him how, how, how much you appreciate him, how much you respect him, how much you look up to him, how much you see in him, how much you need him, instead of coming with complaints often. It's important not to be afraid and know how to communicate. It's important not to enable uncomfortable and, and intolerable things. And again, back to the beginning. And to boost someone's ego and make them feel like a million dollars. When somebody feels good, when somebody feels respected, when somebody feels needed and looked up to, very often that's what helps them feel better about themselves and function better. That's what helps them um, take better anything that's being told to them. It's what helps them grow and become better people. And if we could keep on making people feel like the best people in the world, which they are, I'm not saying it just because you're playing games, it's not manipulation. We know how to make your spouse, anyone out there, your husband, your wife, and your children, feel like the best people in the world. The people that are the most respected and the most important and the most dear to you, that's what helps them function better. That's what helps them take you seriously. And I yourself, it's what promotes every kind of relationship and makes us all feel better about ourselves and live together behind the Agro Shalom